the pleasure of introducing Paul Hederman this morning. And I, as most of you know, I lived here in North Carolina and participated actively in the self-inquiry group and was part of the planning committee inviting speakers. And uh, it was my job to get in touch with Paul. And I, I didn't realize at the time when we were finding speakers that Paul actually lived in California, which is, turns out, where I was planning to move to. And when I got in touch with him finally, it was a couple weeks before I was getting ready to move to California. So um, it was, it's been a, a real pleasure to me to have someone there when I got to California that is pointing to the same truth that I think we're all interested in. Um, one thing that's made it a little difficult for me to introduce him this morning is that when I've tried to find out anything about his story, um, he, he answered, Amy, there are no people, there is no enlightenment. So, and being the foolish speaker that I am, I thought that was a good answer. Um, until I realized that I had to introduce him this morning. <laughs> in the romantic department. 
and he's trying to do the best he can in the sheep world. And this goes on for a couple of years, and uh, there's an underlying disquiet, irritability, restlessness, but he sort of just keeps, you know, saying this is just what happens to a sheep, you know. A sheep goes through these periods of unrest and this, you know, nothing happy and irritable and restless. And then, so one day, he's just hanging out with the sheep, and he's actually becoming a, a prominent member, so they're running around in the herd, and they're chewing cud, and then this old lion comes into the field and sees the herd, and he wants to eat something, so it starts running after the herd. And as it's running after the herd, it notices that there's a young lion sort of joining in on the hunt, and then it looks a little closer, and it says, yeah, the young lion's actually running with the sheep. So this sort of confuses it, so it veers off, and it grabs that young lion. And the young lion's running as fast as it can away from it. It says, rolls over on its back. It says, please, Boz, a little bit. It says, please, Mr. Lion, don't eat me. I'm just a humble sheep. So the old lion's quite perplexed by this, so he just doesn't say anything. He just grabs the young lion, drags it over to this pond of water, and it puts their, both their heads over the water, and the young lion sees their reflection, and it wakes up. All those years, all those thoughts, all those ideas about being a sheep were erased in one second of realization. It saw its face and the old lion's face and realized it was a lion. Then the old lion looks at it and goes raw. And the lion, young lion roars immediately. It doesn't have to take three months of workshops on how to roar. It doesn't have to do anything. All of that learned behavior as a sheep is erased immediately. Immediately. Not even, no time at all. Because it's seen its true nature. Yeah? From that point on, it never was fooled again, thinking it was a sheep. It's a similar thing when I was a little younger. <laughs> I was like 12 years old, and uh, I was thinking I was pretty cool. I was living in Long Island, outside New York, and I, every weekend I'd go to the, the mall, Roosevelt Field, and I'd uh, have this one outfit I thought looked really good. And there were a pair of red corduroy pants and a long sleeve gray shirt, t-shirt, and I had my hair going, you know, and must have been 12, 13, whatever. So I thought I was pretty cool, and I'd go to the mall, and I'd get a lot of people would be looking at me, and I'd think, hey, this is working. So I continued to do this for a couple of months, and then uh, one day one of my friends had some compassion on me and said, hey, Paul. So I, he says, he says, I go, yeah. He says, you know that outfit you like to wear? I go, yeah. And he says, you know that gray shirt? And I go, yeah. He says, you know, it's pink. Yeah. And he says, you know those red corduroys? I go, yeah, they're magenta. And I said, what? As soon as, and I had looked at myself hundreds of times in the mirror, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, and I saw that shirt as gray and those pants as red. But as soon as he informed me that they were pink and magenta, and I saw it, I saw it as pink and magenta. And it never turned back to gray or red. Every time I went back into the closet to check it out, it was still pink and magenta. This is what, to me, it's like. This is what I think hearing the message can do. It doesn't do anything. It's just a realization of what you have been holding yourself to be in mind may not be that. Yeah. So I come from the program of recovery. It's recovered for 22 years now, if you want to call it that. <laughs> and uh, the root of the problem there was pointed out to me, which is obsession with self, or you're extremely concerned with self this idea of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. <coughs> this idea of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. The mind's identification as the body. So after a few years of that, 
I heard an invitation because the obsession with self, I was working very hard at trying to curtail it and change it and do things to practice to stop it. And it was producing some results, but nothing really radical was occurring. But then something occurred to me, and in a way, when I went back to our text and I read it, the word self was a totally new download. When I saw it in the book, it, all this new information just flooded into me because I had entertained I'm not that. You know? And then I saw that the real root of the problem is identification as self. It's a verb. It's the mind is identifying as a self all day. And it's, that to me is what I call selfing. And, so, and it makes up an illusion of being a doubt. There's a feeling that I'm this. So the identification as the body is its, roots, it's its root verification for its story. I am this, yes? I am a doubt, and so instead of seeing that life is just happening, you all you see it as it's happening to me. Yeah? Everything that's going on is now given a direction concerning you as the center. So if something could be happening to someone else and they'll be talking to you about it, you'll immediately take it and see how it pertains to you. So if someone starts talking about their mother, you start talking about your mother. Yeah? They start talking about their job, your job. It's just incredibly, this, it's like this self-loop, this loop of self-importance. Yeah? It just keeps the attention and interest of mind goes out, bounces off of something, and it always brings it back to the same place this idea of being Paul. Now, I believe the idea of being a self is produced by the mental process. Yeah? It's, not, it, it's not created because it's not real. It's produced. So the mental process, I feel, was presented with the question of when it was sentient, when it started becoming sentient, well, who am I? And it gave itself an answer, which is, I am this, I am Paul. And so the body became established as who I was. And so then all my thoughts got centered on this idea of being a Paul. And those thoughts, the daily narrative of my head is like the ongoing, it's like you're traveling with and as a hypnotist all day. Because you're listening to the language. And it's so funny because the voice, the, the language in your head has more of an impact. Why? Because it sounds like it's your voice, yeah? It's like the language is wrapped with the sound of your voice. But that's not even your voice. It's just the voice of this body. It's coming out of this body's vocal cords. So the your, of course, is the act of identification. Yeah? The act of identification is primarily to be the first bonding agent to this idea of being the self. It's the act of identification. So, So here, this is a nice example. Let's say I put spiritual path here. Yeah. Let's say I put se uh, sex. Yeah, sex. Sex. <laughs> money. Yeah. Everybody here would have a meaning for those words when they see them. Yes. Sex, money, spiritual path. Now let's and then hold it. Let's say, all right, if you have money, it may not mean that much. But if you don't have money, it seems to mean a lot. So there's a meaning to it. There's a weight to it. That's how you travel with that idea. Now, just add one word and you'll change the whole weight. My money. My spiritual path. <laughs> My sex. <laughs> this is the whole source of the story. The mind. Not the money, sex, and spiritual path. It's the mind. It's the claiming of it. The mind's claiming of it. 
<laughs> it gives one meaning to it. Yes? If anyone has been introduced to the Course of Miracles, the second lesson of the Course of Miracles is you and I give everything all the meaning it has. That's what this apparatus does. It gives meaning to things. This is a subjective experience. So today, let's say, this is a problem to me. Tomorrow, it's not a problem to me. Today, it's a problem to me. What's, I mean, the next day, it's a problem to me. What is it? What is its nature, other than what the meaning I give it? <laughs> so, I don't know. <laughs> so, when the thought, the thoughts, like for me, thoughts are just something you see, your mind sees, like an eye sees a bird, and if I'm looking out the window at the right time, my eyes open, and a bird goes by, I see it. There's no choice in the matter, yeah? I may want to, my mind may react and say, I didn't want to see that bird, but I saw the bird. That was the conscious contact. And my mind is just seeing thoughts. So the thoughts are being seen, and I believe thoughts have the nature of everything else here, which appears, which is it comes and goes. The thought seems to come and it goes. But what occurs in my witnessing it, seeing it, is when the thought is held as my thought, which is there's lots of thoughts going by all day, yeah? But I believe there's a certain uh, old idea, or maybe I would say two of them, underneath all the thoughts that are seen, which is I'm the thinker of them, or they're about me. Yeah? And in those two ways of holding the thought, there's a lot of distribution of meaning to it. So as soon as a thought goes by, it's just a thought, but as soon as there's the mind to it, yes, it's, in, it's injected with a lot of meaning from this whole labyrinth of ideas and beliefs and conditioning. Yeah? So because you can have the same thought I'm having, and if you come over to my house, let's say you, your mind, you're coming to my house to talk about yourself, and, yeah, which I'll probably want to do laundry immediately when you come over. But, uh, so you sit down and you start talking about your fears about what's not happening. So, okay, okay. So I can recognize it. I have total immunity to it. I see it. I'm very, I could be like Solomon. I can have great wisdom about your thoughts. But the same patch of thoughts could be going on in my head, and if they're held as my thoughts, I'll be taking them to be a great idea. Yeah? It's not the thought at all. It's the mind. The thought is just a conveyor. The thought is like a vehicle that the mind uses to produce an effect. It shoots it up with meaning. So for me, the immunity to thought is just to see it as thought. And and the point is, I don't have to see every thought as that. I just see that I'm not the thinker, nor am I what they're about. Because the whole system of thought that is like the the helmet of this apparatus is based on a system called self-centeredness. All the thoughts are part and parcel of that system. You can't think outside the box of that system. They're defined by the system. Just like self, the idea of being a self can never get out of self because it can't escape the mental process where it is produced and is seems to appear. It doesn't appear anywhere else. <laughs> so, <laughs> when you're trying to get out of yourself here, that's actually being in self. That's why I don't particularly like a lot of practices. Because the modality of um, being the doer and haver, and especially if there's some, if there's a noble idea about what you're interested in, that's even more dangerous. Because the mind will inject so much freaking meaning into it during the day. So let's say you start to meditate and everything's nice, 
but after a while you get into the practice of it, and then one day you miss the meditation, and your mind's interpretation of that day is that it sucked, because you missed the meditation. But when I was two and three years old, I wasn't missing any meditations. I wasn't thinking I needed to do any meditation. I wasn't planning on reading about the next workshop. There was just an immediacy to life. There was an awakeness. Yeah. When I was playing, that's all I was doing, playing. I didn't have the thought system that could say, hey, I may not be playing next week. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it was just playing. And when it was with the ants, I was in that ant. I was in that ant world. And there was no narrator telling, saying, oh, Paul is in the ant world. Yeah? All of that hadn't, that hadn't set up yet. So there was a, there was a, in that space of that not setting up, there was that thing of wonder and awe, that immediacy, that spontaneity. When I, my mother could have been super obese and huge and ugly, but I loved her because I had no concept of beauty and ugliness yet. It was all very simple and clear. What happened? The mind grew into something. It grew into a system called self-centeredness. Yeah. And from that, the option of time came available. So when I have something going on that's beautiful now, I can't enjoy it because I think it may not last in tomorrow. So tomorrow and the past totally, totally interpret what you call this present moment. It's bookends everything. So I don't care about all that stuff, really. What I like to see is I like to sort of share about it if I can because it's not what I am. And I think that's as far as you need to go. It's just to recognize what you're not. Because in that recognition of what you're not, that's what you are. There's no step, you don't take another counter step, another direction. There's just the recognition of what's arising is not what I am. And that's that. So, this thing with the lion and the sheep. So let's say there's a herd of sheep, and the sheep sort of get this idea they like to get to become like a lion. Yeah? They figure, in the sheep's society, it would be a great advantage if I had some qualities of a lion. So maybe a couple of them agree, and they look around old bookstores, and they find a book about lions. Yeah? And they have pictures of lions, and they start reading about what it would be like to be a lion. As a sheep, you know? I'm a courageous sheep. I rip your throat out when you try to make me a sweater or whatever. All this stuff. And so maybe they get the pictures and they enlarge them and they get a little room and they put them up there and they get little candles under them and they start now worshipping the lions. So this was the greatest of all lions. You know? <laughs> they, start getting, they start getting their hair straightened and everything. <laughs> going on, but they all sound bo- like bars, you know what I mean? Your, roar, your bo- roaring's getting better, yes. Yeah, yeah. That roar, that bar will never be a roar. <laughs> so there you go, and it sounds very noble to, in some niches, or whatever, little bits of sheep society. Oh, these, these young sheep want to be like a lion. That's very, very noble. They do well, and there's lion retreats and everything like that. <laughs> but the dilemma is, they're a lion, yes? That's the dilemma. No matter how much they want to become like a lion, it's just reinforcing the prior identity as being a sheep. So all the practices of becoming like a lion are just reinforcing the fact, quote-unquote, that they're a sheep. 
So let's say here, we're sitting in this meeting and the, the message is, you're a liar, yeah. you're a liar, you're a liar, you're a liar, you're a liar, you're a liar. Okay, so you hear that message, here it comes. You're a liar, 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 you're a liar. It hits you right here, I can become like a liar. That's not the message. Yeah. You're a liar, you're a liar, you're a liar, you're a liar. I can become like the message. The message about lions are many. But the thing is, you need to be an ear doctor. You've got to see if it's a sheep ear that's hearing it. Because as soon as the message is heard, it's translated into some doing and having. I'm going to do something to get this. I'm going to prepare myself. There's no self to prepare. It's an immediate solution, and it's also timeless. It has nothing to do with processes. How can you capture something that's timeless through time? Like for me, when I heard this message, it was like an unspoken yes. It was like an aha in my gut. And that, I'll tell you, was the whole enchilada. That was the whole message. That was all the scriptures I ever needed. It was the encapsulation of everything that's ever been, I have ever thought about. It was just an immediate whack. Yes? And then it was just the translation of that in time here. That's all it was. But that aha is that message. And so many people I know, when they hear this message, there's a, there's a resonance, yes? There's like a sense of, ah, a real deep relaxation. And then they go home and think about it, and that's that. <laughs> it's already been fucked, you know? They think about it. Then the books come and stuff like that. And, you know. It's like these books, this book about, like, how to be in the moment. <laughs> it's like 800,000 books on how to be in the moment no one ever finishes any of those books they just read a few chapters and then they buy another one but how can you be in the mo- how can you get in the moment you can't be out of the moment <laughs> but I want to get into the moment but you can't be out of the moment <laughs> every moment has to have you in it for it to be a moment to you <laughs> I'm not in Bart's moment, yes. <laughs> so it's this insane thing of uh, we're taking uh, really that's just that. Yeah. This message doesn't need a retreat for me. It doesn't need a long drawn out event. It's just an offering. And this I'm not a teacher, I'm an inviter. Yeah, not advaita, inviter. <laughs> happen 
the deeds are done, but there is no individual doer thereof. So, it's not like you're going to stop doing anything, it's really like you never were the doer. There's never been a needing, there's never been the need of itself to be any doing to occur. The doing and the events and the deeds are being done, and they'll continue to be done. Like someone says, well, what do you do, you know, after this? Shop, maybe, you know, I don't know. Go to the deli, get a sandwich. Change the oil in my truck. I don't know. It's not like, jeez. I don't know. To me, it's just, just whatever, obvious. So, here you go. So the sheep, they're reading and all like this, and that 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 whole point of trying to get out of, and they're trying to become like a lion, and in their paradigm at that moment, they can never entertain being a lion, just as in recovery, when when the solution was I have to fight the obsession with self, there was no way I could ever tame, entertain truly being free of it because I was identified as it. So all the relief I was trying to get from self was actually relief for self. Yeah. The bondage to self can be a gold chain or an iron chain. It doesn't matter. Yeah. This, the bondage to self is that activity of selfing. When that's going on unaddressed, unaddressed, no matter what actions and behaviors I'm changing out here, the one, that, the one who we think they're still doing those actions and behaviors will be the idea of being a self. Yeah. And it can use anything. It's movement, immediate movement is the claim. That's all it does. Yeah. As, soon as, it was, as soon as it was given the, the greatest meaning of all that the mind can give anything, which is it's you, it started to claim every aspect of living that was exp- expressing through the body. Instead of being a body, it's my body. Instead of thoughts, my thoughts. Instead of relationships, my relationships. Instead of, you know, it's incredible. As soon as and as soon as it claims anything, it downloads a lot of meaning to it. Yeah. And so your subjective experience is totally being funneled through and expressed out here through this one little lens called self-centeredness. To start attempting to deal with it out there after it already seems to have appeared is to me pointless. To find that one lens yeah, and to see if it's true. If I'm, Am I that? And if I'm not, that is the activity of taking that lens off. And then the light, the undifferentiated light, well, when it gets differentiated, it takes on a different appearance. And the sense of its unicity or that the one is with the source of light is available. There's a sense of this unicity in the multiplicity. Yeah? But nothing that you do brought it about. It's just removing a certain lens. The light, the undifferentiated light, can easily, and there's absolutely no problem in differentiation, because it doesn't lose its sense of being light. Yeah? But what occurs here is when that light comes in, and this body is taking itself to being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity, it must immediately become the subject, and then objects must appear to it. That whole reality of duality that we experience here is produced by that light going through this apparatus and this object taking itself to be the subject. The brain and the body of this object have been called the subject, and then pure subjectivity is forgotten. 
And so now the subject, and if this is the subject, then even the ideas of true subjectivity, like truth and enlightenment, are made to be an object to you as the subject. It's now something that you as a subject is going to get. And then, as long as this is the subject, the mind will see things as objects. The highest, loftiest goals will be viewed as an object to you as the subject. But when this is recognized as I'm not that, then the subjectivity is unhindered. The emphasis is appropriate. You're sensing the differentiation, but there's a, there's a reliance on the unicity. is the dominant interpretive system, yes? And let's say that self-centeredness has a belief system that you're not enough, or whatever, or you'll never be loved. And so now, every day, all day, life, like a canvas, that things and colors are leaking through, and then appearances arise, and there's an experience, yeah? Every, every experience is tinted with, let's say, a, a color of yellow from that self-centeredness. So no matter what colors appear, they all have this yellow tint. That is the overriding interpretation of self-centeredness. It's a projection. There's no true perception, obviously. It's a projection, and then it's perceived by the apparatus, as if it's real and solid outside, because the apparatus has taken itself to be the subject. Therefore, everything must be thrown into the position of object. It's impossible to get out of that as you as a subject. So, you can hear, I can hear all these lovely words, but my experience walking down the road and seeing this, it will be seeming like there's people outside and they can really hurt me because an appearance can hurt another appearance here. Yeah. Appearances have the ability to affect other appearances here. But, with this, for me, when there was that recognition, and to me it's not a recognition, it's no event to me, it's a verb. The recognition is activated and that's the way the seeing is. Yeah? It isn't like, it's just a verb. The whole idea of the illusion of being a noun that anything happened to is dismissed. And you realize that nothing ever occurred because there's something that's always occurring. And that verb of the being it's just so damn obvious that there's no place you can ever leave it or enter it. There's no doubt to be found. There's no event or day that something ever happened to a me. It's a story in the world of appearances. It's like here we're at a we're at a retreat and we're all everyone's talking about the ocean, but we're all sitting here as individual waves. Yeah. You can hear the beauty of the ocean over and over and over again. It's just going to flip you out more and more and more as a wave. But the, 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 the sense of being a wave is the act of denial of the oceanness. Yeah. And to study of the ocean, the best the wave can do is, I hope I can get an experience one day what the ocean is really like. <laughs> All the while, while it's longing and practicing patience for this one day mythical event, it's the ocean all along. It doesn't have to know anything more about the ocean. It just has to realize it's not a wave. 
soon as it realizes it's not a wave, what is it? The ocean. There's no time to take to become the ocean as a wave. Not one moment, not one second. There's no place to go. As soon as the wave is seen not to be a wave, that's the ocean. And it's obvious it was always the ocean. It doesn't have to be told after it disappeared. Yes, you have always been the ocean. It's obvious. It's in your gut. Yeah. i got to go back to that peak pace. You're always going to be the ocean. Okay, that's the wave again. The wave has arisen, and now it's trying to make sure. Is this ocean just going to last? I want to I guarantee. What do you want to guarantee as a wave? I like hearing poetry about the ocean, but I don't. I'd rather be the ocean. Yeah, I'd rather be wet than to, you know, have read about how people were really wet back then. <laughs> really got wet when they were with this person that was really wet. I could care less. I want to get wet. I want to. <laughs> It's going to drive the wave crazy when it keeps hearing how, how everyone's getting wet. <laughs> and that, that drive to become wet will make it more and more dry. Yeah? Because it has to be right about being a wave. So for me, I just see what I'm not. And then that's that. And then when the mind reintroduces it to self, says, oh, I didn't get it, that's bullshit. Every time it arises, and it will arise, it will attempt to... It's like Ramana Maharshi put it this way. I really like this way. He says, a lot of people are in an auditorium watching a movie. And there's a recognition the movie is unreal. Yeah, They recognize that. But there's a subtle assumption that they're real watching the movie as unreal. Ramana Maharshi says the circle's larger. It includes you sitting here thinking that you, this place is unreal, but assuming very subtly you're real as this... That's also the movie. There is no escape out of the movie. As anything arising in mind claiming to be an authentic self is not. It's an appearance in the circle. It's in the content. And it's, there's never going to be a point where you and I become an authentic self outside the content. All the appearance of self is in the content. The context, it would say, would be that awareness. The content is, yes, arising, and the mind keeps trying to claim a condition and a state that it has nothing to do with. So there you are. To everything is totally as it's always been, but the head says it's not. Well, I'm getting closer. <laughs> <laughs> the worst thing is if you felt like you were really connected and now you feel disconnected. Isn't that exquisite suffering? Isn't it? You notice that? The mind. I remember my friend, he had a, he had a girlfriend who was he was practicing like benign neglect with, really, basically. He wasn't paying much attention to it for a year or two. And I was watching it, and then uh, she finally got up the nerve to leave. And when she left, he realized just then that she was the source of all his happiness. Yeah? Isn't that an exquisite suffering? So here you are, you believe that what will make you happy is gone, and there will be no recourse ever to beat it again. What is the mind going to do with that? It's going to produce an exquisite suffering, isn't it? Isn't it funny that you always want what you really don't have? It's funny that and it, the mind always points out that you don't have it. Yes, yes. While you're wanting something. Yes. 
I caught this thing called the here there modality. So here I am sitting on this lovely couch. Well, let's say I'm at my house and I don't have a couch. I have a one bedroom apartment and uh, I don't have a couchless yet. So that's fine. I'm very, very happy doing everything. And then I get a magazine and there's a big layout for a beautiful couch. And my mind looks at that couch and goes, wow. And then it realizes it's been couchless, yeah? And it now starts to feel irritable about the fact I don't have a couch. <laughs> it starts looking around the room and says, man. So this is the reason why I've been feeling shitty all this time. <laughs> i got to get a couch. <laughs> and then it starts thinking about all the people I know who have couches. Why didn't it tell me how great it is to have a couch? You said those <laughs> so then it says, okay, well, i got to get a couch. So now, so the couch becomes a bear. Yeah? So the here was couch, the couch estate, that the couch becomes a bear. And that there is going to become the mythical here. When I arrive there, it's going to be great. Yeah? I'm going to have what I don't have now. So at that moment, everything was totally fine. Now it's not. Now this moment isn't enough. Because another moment that could be better has been brought into the mix, yes? And in the comparison of that, you find this very unsatisfying. So now you work really hard maybe to get that couch, and it takes a couple of months, and you're calling people up, hey, the couch is being delivered today, you're going to come over, and they go, no, no, I got things to do, you know? <laughs> you're really excited, and you want to share this great couch event with others. <laughs> and they pull the couch, and uh, you made the room for it, and and you your mind to think, I bet you I'll meet a girlfriend and I'll probably conceive my first child on that couch. You're right, the story is really getting embellished, you know. The couch is very important. So then the couch arrives and they put it down. So here it is. So they sit down and there's it, a great mental relief. You know, oh, yes, yes. And then it looks around and says, I need to get a rug to match the couch. Yes. So now, the mythical there, immediately as you arrive, becomes a here. And then another mythical there. And then another here. So every mythical there you arrive at is a here that you want to leave. <laughs> so basically what the mind's doing is leaving the here every time. All the time. That's its true story. Its true story is that it said no to what's available right now. It says I will really embrace something that I want, but I won't embrace this now. Yeah? Because I think, like a lady told me one day, it was great. Uh, distillation of a, of a mental dilemma, which was something's happening to me that I think could be different. That's hell. Something's happening to me, the direction going at me, so obviously I'm the subject and that's become objectified. And that subject has to have give that power for those things to affect it. Yeah? I got a nasty cold, so where was I? Subject, object. Yeah. What was I doing to myself? Oh, yes, yes, yes. So, something's happening to me that I think can be different. So, and so let's say you're going, well, you can see what the body could do with that, you know? So, let's say you're traveling across country with that, that person that you think you could be traveling without. <laughs> so every day you wake up and you're engaging with them, there's a possibility you shouldn't have to be engaging with them. How's that going to go? 
Not too well, eh? <laughs> so, again, I'll go to another. I always like to talk about this, because I think in the mental realm, when you're sucked up the ass of self, yeah, you're in the mental realm with time. So let's say you have an epiphany occur here, or an epiphany happens. Now, did, did you know the epiphany's coming? If you have a been witness to an epiphany, did you know it was coming? Did you make reservations for it? Did you call up the head and say, all right, I want some Kenny G music in there. No, it was just an event that overrode it, yes? It overrode the mental story of the action figure, yeah? So I notice some things have happened to me, and I notice what occurs, though, is there's the event, the epiphany, let's say, and then it's usually the end of it coincides with an arising in mind, which is, I just had an incredible epiphany, yeah? So the head, the self, which has been totally absent, now arises, the self, there's not a self, but the selfing arises and claims its own absence as an experience. It says, I had this incredible epiphany. And yet, the epiphany, <laughs> the epiphany was the absence of selfing. <laughs> so whatever it is come in contact with, the mind will arise and claim it. Somehow or another. And as soon as it claims it, then that epiphany becomes neutered. Yeah? It becomes neutered. It's become... It's, it becomes an object that you put on your little mantle and you show people and you call everyone, oh, let me tell you about my epiphany, like you caught an animal or something. You know? <laughs> it becomes objectified. And the whole point was it was an event of subjectivity. <clears throat> yeah. Not subjectiveness, which is, but subjectivity. Yes? The one eye that's looking out of our heads right now. The one eye that when I sense it, as when I'm in self-centeredness, when I sense this I, I call it me. Yeah? And me is just a representative of what I call you, a body. Yeah? But the fact of conscious contact is I. Everyone here is seeing, and it's the same I that see. Yeah? The mental reaction to that event is an interpretation that this I is me, and the me is just a representative of what I call a you, a body, a body idea. So the I is the constant invitation because there is only one subjectivity that's seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, and touching, and witnessing thoughts. But the mental reaction to that is that it's a me which separates it. And then the me becomes the subject. So now subjectivity is used for a subjective experience. So the mind in selfing plays God, really. If you want to call that thing that's seeing God, then the mind's reaction to that God is to play God. So now it's subjective. It tells a subjective story about conscious contact. You have opinions about what you saw instead of just sensing the seeing. Yeah? You make up stories about what you heard instead of hearing. Buddha said, when you see, see, when you hear, hear, when you feel, feel, when you taste, taste, when you touch, touch. Simple. Yeah. Very simple. But the mental interpretation, rooted in self, claims that. And now you have vast opportunities for selfing to run around and produce mental states, mental experiences. <coughs> 
by the major mental state, which is self-centeredness. Yeah. To deal with all of the smaller frames and all the mental states that arise as our experiences, physical experiences, everything, and not to go to the final bottom frame, what's quote-unquote last frame for me, is that identification of self, because this frame is framing in some way all the other mental states. Finding the first knot. If I, if, this, if my life is like a row of knots called, let's say, security, and relationships, and health, physical health, and there's an intention, an interest to try to deal with those. But if there, if there's a first knot, and that first, so when I deal with let's say, relationships, maybe after doing workshops and other things, I get a little relief for a month or two. Yeah, but that basically it ties again usually. Yeah, and the and it didn't affect the other knots like money and help too much. But what happens if you can find the first nut, and if that first nut is the identification as a self, yes, if that seemed not to be true, that a, a thread from that nut goes through all the other nuts. So there will be an effect, like Jesus says, you'll know the tree by its fruits. You can't know the tree, but you'll know it by its fruits. So when this is entertained and held as I may, I'm not that, its effects, which I call traveling lighter here, sort of verify or intimate what's going on. Yeah. Because you can't have an experience of it as a subject because you're not a subject. I can't know the truth, but I'm knowing from the truth all the, all the time. I'm knowing everything here from the truth, but I can't know the truth. That's the best truth I can know, that I'm knowing from the truth, but I cannot know the truth as an object to be as a subject. That's why I pitted it. I'm looking at it as an object, or looking for it as an event or something, and that's why it's hidden right now. So, uh, you want to have questions? I don't like questions, but... <laughs> That's not much of an invitation. <laughs> <laughs> you already got you, the spiritual subpoena has been served. Right? You already got it. My job's done. <laughs> Why would a self want to identify with being lower than whales? I want to go with the death road. Why? I just want to. I would ask, you know, I would. I just wouldn't go there. That opens up another trail. That's just a waste of time.
that on one side it is very easy mentally to grasp it. And it looks like so simple that you're out of there. But I think most of the people here would vouch for me here that despite being as simple, it envelops you so totally that even though it takes only a lion's robe to wake up that ship, the road is so inaudible. Or I don't know what it takes for that to be audible. It probably takes lives, several lives for many of us before the road is heard. Even though it is very easy to feel that there is no difference and you are out of it. But when you hear and see those few Buddhas or the Sadat Maharaj or similar people, then you realize despite being same, there is a vast difference between the two entities. So I'm not sure that mentally knowing helps break that illusion. I know the methodologies may not work. I know it is it is as simple knowing as you put it forward. And I don't know if there's any better way of putting it to be frank with you. It's the most direct way that I have ever heard or I will ever hear probably. But still the illusion is so great and so big. I guess each has to finish his destiny to reach that breaking up of the illusion whenever it happens. Isn't it? I mean, it, it's, it's, it's as simple as you put it and it's still as hard as it is as we most of us are doing. <laughs> let's just, let me just say that, let's say this retreat was like a fish market, yeah? Like a fish market. I'm just selling cod. Yeah. I'm not having, I'm not comparing my cod, the cod to mackerel or salmon. Yeah. It's just, I'm a humble cod salesman. Yeah. I know this is all I can share from because this is, this is the cod I've, been, I've grown up with, <laughs> yeah, so to speak. That's that. And, uh, with the idea of the illusion, it sounds like it's almost an object to you, as if it's really solid and out there and that it's doing something. You have, I find it's best to see, uh, quote-unquote, your role in it. And, uh, because I know I think we're all the dreamer of this place. I don't believe there's an illusion as if it's a real... So- how could an illusion be a real solid illusion anyway? But uh, you know, I, uh, I, I can agree with you with it could be easy hard, but I just don't go there. I don't... I don't uh, Whatever my mind arises with, I don't let it vouch for me. Yeah, it's not an action. It's not a practice. Whatever arises, I'm not. That does not vouch for me. That does not define me or locate me. Yes, and uh, and it arises. It attempts to say I'm the owner of the glasses. Yeah, it attempts to say I'm seeing, but it's just a form of looking called self-centeredness. That form of looking, and any form of looking, I truly believe, if that form of looking is practicing it, will be a form of blindness to the natural seed. 
I mean, did I really want the transcendence when I was three years old? No. I had no... I wasn't in an abusive situation. There was just an immediacy and a wonder and awe. What more do you want? I don't want to leave this place. I'm not in a rush to get out of here. Because since I'm not in here, you know? Why, if there, if, if, if it's an appearance, it's like that old Zen thing. First there is the mountain, then there is no mountain, but then there's the mountains again. So, first there is the mountains, and you think of them to be real solid objects for you as the subject. Then there is no mountain, because you see this not an object, therefore that not a bomb, and then it appears to be a mountain again. It isn't like, oh, there was a mountain, there was no mountain. Never a mountain, never again. No, then there's a mountain again. It appears to be a mountain. What's the problem? I find self-importance is an incredible movement because it will take the most beautiful idea and beat the shit out of itself with it. (laughs) And I find a lot of people that I meet would be better if they just went and helped someone they didn't know than to read another book or go to another meeting. (coughs) They don't seem to be traveling well. And maybe the story is, well, this is part and parcel of the process, but I'm I'm full of that. I'm finished with that. I meditated and practiced for a long time. And personally, my experience was there's a fundamental flaw in it all. Because there's always this template of being the doer. And the more noble you think you're something that is, that you're doing, the more meaning will be given to it by the head. The more I try to raise something above other somethings, yes, it's just more and more confusion. This is about losing interest, truly, to me. It's like losing interest, yes. You touched on a thread that I heard from, and, and that is, um, this is not a practice that is recommended for the cave and the monastery. This is a practice in the midst of life. And all of us have a life. That is, all of us have something that we do with our lives. And, and increasingly, I've been trying to sync up what I do with life with my practice. I mean, I, I really don't see it as different, but there's that tendency to say, you know, why do you get so involved in your life and you really should be focused? I think you get what I mean. <clears throat> what I'm asking about is that tendency of the mind to grab hold of whatever it is that you're doing in life, that you feel like it is of some value to someone other than your selfing. How do you help to keep that focus? That's a continual the focus of what? The oh. focus on not making that work that you do in the world that you want to be a part of your practice to not let that mind grab hold of it and start selling. Well, let's say the mind does, but you're not that. See, what I found, truly, this is... Let's say we're here, sitting here, and there's a girl in the other room I'm very interested in. Biblically, let's say. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't talked to her yet, but I'm afraid to talk to her because the fear of rejection is overrides most asking for what I want. Yes, in the mental state. But so I'm very. I'm supposed to be doing a talk, let's say, on that meeting. But my interest and attention is trying to listen to what I'm hoping she's going to be talking about me to some of her friends in this other room. I mean, 
there's eight million other people she could be talking about, but I'm assuming she's going to say something about me. You know? <laughs> so there I am. <laughs> people are saying, people are saying, Paul, you're supposed to be doing this, and I agree with them, but I can't. You know, my attention just keeps going there. Yeah, I have, it's like a wild horse. There's no control over it. Yeah. And so, all right, then someone throws a book and says, oh, here's a book that how to stop listening to conversations in another room. Something page through it. The drawer is here. <coughs> and then, finally, she starts talking. And she's talking about someone, but it's Matt. And my name is Paul. Immediately, I lose interest in that conversation. Right? Immediately. I don't have to take a workshop how to lose interest in it. As soon as I hear it, as soon as I hit, get a hit that it's not about me, immediately my interest and attention is disengaged and brought back where? Here. Yes? The same thing, if the thoughts aren't mine and what they're about isn't me, there's a loss of interest in it. And my attention gets free from that slavery and now it can attend to other things. And in the attention, when the attention is free from that, it senses its own nature, the attention. Yes? And there's tons of attention. You don't lose interest. You lose interest in things. Yeah? You lose interest in objects. So your interest and attention that has been enslaved to be interested in objects gets relieved from that burden, and now it's interested, let's say, in no thing. Yeah? And it attends. So, and it's self-fulfilling. As you're entertaining it, it's entertaining, yeah. <coughs> so now you're traveling later. Hey, uh, I wanted to extend the uh, mind sheet analogy a little bit. Uh, what if the young lion sees its reflection but still does not recognize itself to be a lion? I kind of feel like that may be the situation a lot of us, we hear the message we're getting glimpse, and it doesn't fully come through. We have to maybe hear the message many times before we get it. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is that uh, after uh, the young lion gets the first glimpse, maybe it gets a little disturbed and it, it can't forget about the fact that you know it saw something that perplexed it, and so it can't really exactly go back to being a sheep. sheep. Um, so I guess I feel like we're human terms, once you've gotten a glimpse, it's, it's really hard to put down seeking and just say that, oh, I'm just going to you know, dive right back into in life as, as I think it is, it is real. Well, well, I'm not saying give up seeking. I would say just see there's no seeker. Yeah? You know what I mean? You're an action figure. You're going to do something here. Why not do this? You don't really have a choice. This just happens, yeah? That's the problem. But when it's you doing it, then that doing gets, gets given a lot of meaning, as if this is going to make me something better. And that's what you're like trying to like uh, make yourself through with like a machete, the mental debris. Yeah, all the meaning that's been given to a simple act of just coming here and sitting down. You know, that is it. So seeking, if that's what. The predilection of this apparatus is it's going to seek. But there's no, it doesn't mean there's a seeker. Yeah? Just like Ramana said, you don't have to give up all your possessions, just give up the possessor. Yeah? This whole idea of being, you know, 
there's this, the identification as a possessor and a non-possessor. They're both bondage to the idea of self. It's not about giving up anything or not doing something. It's who, you know, maybe you want to ask who's doing it. See if there is a you. Because <coughs> the you, to me, just comprises tons of meanings. So anytime conscious contact is claimed by this idea of being a you, a lot of meaning gets put on the back of the conscious contact. The seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching gets avalanched over by all the beating. What did I, about what you saw and how you saw it and on and on. And so on the basic uh, example of existence here, which is conscious contact, consciousness contacting stimuli, yeah, by hearing, seeing, feeling, tasting, touching, the mental process just puts this huge interpretation on it. So you can't get back to the see, uh, all right, because when they say see, you know, when see, see, hearing, hearing, the way we'll go back is, okay, now I'm going to see what I'm seeing. Yeah? I'm just going to see what I'm seeing now. That's still the I. Yes? The I against claimed it. And no matter how much, it's never going to get to that point of the see is the absence of that I. The I wanting just the see is looking. That's a form of looking. Yes? That's a, seeing is now being looked at from self-centeredness. I'm going to see. My practice is just seeing. You don't have to practice just seeing. That's all that's happening. It's just a recognition of what's always so. There's no, there's, there's no need for any additions or subtractions. Just It needs to be naked in a sense. But we have this, the mind wants to keep applying a mental interpretation on seeing. Which, is, which emphasizes the, sub, the pseudo-subject and the object that's seen. So the act of seeing, the verb of living, gets forgotten, and now you, get, you live an interpretation as a noun here. How's it working out for you? <laughs> really? How's it fucking working out? <laughs> to me, it's like the, being freed for the, for the need to be liberated. You lose interest. To me, the greatest interest in nothing is total loss of interest. Yeah? Because then anytime you have a mental interest in nothing, you've made it a something. You've made it a fucking something that you are going to get an advantage of. When you totally lose in it, knowing there's nothing to get, really, it's just the way it is. In that total loss of interest, that's total consumption in that interest. The mind fades its by its interest. It's actually in its act of denial sometimes of that nothingness. It wants to make nothingness into a something. Yeah. It's impossible. Nothing cannot become something. Yeah. The wave does not have to find the ocean. It just has to see it's not a wave. They'll get its own sense of being wet. Maybe it'll take a while for the head to recognize it, but there'll be wetness leaking into your little dry parchment of an interpretation. Every time your mind's trying to write the story, you know, the ink will run, because the wetness of living will be rising through it. And you'll think, where's this water coming from? You're leaking. The waves leak the ocean. 
you're writing about the ocean and how much you love the ocean. The pages are getting wet as you're writing. And you're still in the denial of your wetness, you know. Yes, I want to be wet. I want to be wet. I want to be wet. I'm affirming I'm dry. I'm affirming I'm dry. I'm affirming I'm No, I want it. It looks like you want to be wet, but really it's the affirmation you're dry. leaking in every day, isn't it? There's so many times you're displaced from the daily narrative. Life is constantly leaking into your story. One pause is is eternity. One pause, you know, not P-A-W-S, but P-A-U-S-E, pause, you know. One pause is it. It's a timeless moment in this little story of time. Anything can happen in that pause. It's it's pregnant with possibility. In that pause, the thing that was only trying to be be okay later can sense it's okay now. The whole s- slavery to the idea of time and processes can be just dropped in the cell. What happens if it's made into a process? Let's say it's wanting to know God. Who's going to inform you that you're close so far to knowing God? Your head, yeah? So really, in your pursuit of wanting to know God, what's actually playing God is your head. Your head is telling you you're close. You know that old game when you were a kid? <clears throat> they hide something in the yard and then you look for it and the person would go, you're cool, you're cold, you're cold, you're war- getting warmer, you're getting warmer, you're getting hot, oh, you're cold again. That's what it's like, you go on a three-month retreat. Oh, I'm getting warmer. I'm getting warmer. I'm, I'm getting hot. Then you leave and you go back to work. I'm cold again. Who's informing you you're hot and cold? The head, wrapped in self-centeredness. It's playing God. So that's our final authority. If you're if if there's that identification of self, you are relying on self. That's your final authority. And it's going to be the authority about God and enlightenment and truth and everything like that. And it's going to give its meaning to those things. And that's way it's going to be disguising them. Yeah? There's no doubt. It's going to be disguising. Yes? You're not triangulated by thought unless they're yours. If there's a claiming of the thoughts, they triangulate you. They locate you in a place and time and as a body. That's all they do. They're just a triangulation all day. I'm here doing this, what that, da, da, da. I'm constantly, constantly, constantly. So. Oh, yeah. Yes? Is there a limit to questions? <laughs>
It's the everlasting verb of what I am. Yeah, the see you really pays attention. It's demonstrating. It's the invitation at every moment. Yeah, the mind wants to get into what you see, and, but seeing is always available. Yeah, the, I mean the raw data or the, the you know the, just the, the act of what we call being. But were you saying that you can't do that in meditation? Well, I'm sure it's a possibility. I just what when I was doing that stuff, there, I didn't know there was a template. There was an identification as being the one who was meditating, and that was a that proved to be a dilemma because I did a, did retreats, and, you know, in Thailand and other places, long some some of the long and. I had tons of spiritual quote-unquote experiences, but nothing radically changed. Yeah, it was like as soon as I left that situation, it would sort of uh, dissipate the effects. Yes, so it was an experience, and so then the mind would just say, "Just go do a longer retreat," so you get a, a longer effect. And it was all this and that, and it's just you know, it's a never ending. You do a week and then a month, then in three months, then it's got to be mixed, like a little bit of tantra, and a little talking, a little therapy, a little kayaking. You know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like a new, you know, cottage industry. It's like entertainment plus you get to feel like you're good because you meditated for an hour or something during the day. But you're down in Cabo, you know. <laughs> Something failed. If you have the ability to see that, it's great to get off a dead horse. Yeah. I'm not saying it's a dead horse for everyone. It doesn't care about everyone. It's you. Yeah. Find something that works for you. It doesn't work for you. It doesn't matter how much it seems to... You know, when I was younger, I was with a guru in India. And, man, it was... It was mental torture, really. Because they presented him as the Lord of the Universe. Yes? Now, and so I was a follower, and my experience of the Lord in the universe is I didn't like him. This was a field day for my fucking head. (laughs) He's the Lord of the universe. I don't like the Lord of the universe. Why does that make me? Not too good. I'm going to have a lot of penances and purification, because I just don't like the guy. (laughs) He's the Lord of the universe. you don't like him and leave. I mean, really, we can't even get off the... You can't even take a shit anymore without thinking. Thinking, you know, should I be shitting now? <laughs> Shitting's happening. How, when was the last time you walked in a room and it just experienced that instead of the thinking about who's in there or whatever? Yeah. Our attention and interest has been hijacked by the mental realm. Yes, it's just up there because we think it's about us. We really do. We believe that life is really an interpretation. People go to work and they get home and at 8 o'clock at night it dawns on them they had a bad day. I mean, if you were in the bad day, wouldn't you know it when it was bad? Wouldn't it, did it have to take 13 hours for the, then the head finally breaks the news to you? Hey, boy, you had a bad day today. <laughs> oh, thank you, old great one. What else do you, do you want to tell me? Well, you're never going to get anything good. Oh, thank you very much. Why are you walking around so contracted, Paul? Well, obviously, look at the 
weather band I've been listening to. <laughs> I want to ask, I'm never going to get anything I ever want.